0: Hello, it's uh, Neil Young here again from Elixir Energy, uh, ASX-listed energy stock. Um, I think I only spoke with you, Matt, about a month ago, but we've had some pretty interesting developments in our Australian and Mongolian gas projects since then. So look forward to uh, uh, telling you more about those.
1: Good man, Neil. It was, it was actually the middle of September. Time flies when you're having fun, Neil. Mm-hmm. Time flies. <laughs> Look, <laughs> well, I want to catch up. So it's sort of um, end of the year-ish, but um, we hadn't spoken about the contingent resource being booked on the, as it is now called, Grandas Gas Project in Queensland. And uh, it was quite a big step up for you. So I wanted to say, so well, maybe just tell people about some of the numbers and then I want to kind of get into it with you.
0: Sure. When we acquired this project in the middle of the year, we announced a perspective, i.e. an undiscovered resource at the time, and uh, that was pretty substantial, uh, 3 trillion cubic feet in the uh, medium case. Um, but our technical team continued to work on the open file data from the uh, significant program that BG Group, now Shell, undertook um, about 10 years ago and uh, concluded that there was, in fact, a discovered resource here, given it's an uh, an unconventional play, and that one could legitimately extrapolate from those wells into our, our acreage. And we worked with independent global reserve certifiers, ERC Equipoise, and they agreed with us that the mid-case contingent resource was around 400 billion cubic feet, which is a, which is a pretty uh, chunky number for a junior. That there was also some associated condensate or light oil with that, and. Pretty conservatively at this point, we we assumed about 10 uh, barrels per million cubic feet and and booked just over 3 million barrels for that. But uh, one of the objectives of our program will be to significantly increase the condensate ratio, the contingent resource and uh, uh, all things going well. Also booking some initial reserves. Yeah, I mean, I thought
1: it was quite interesting because the the sheer, the sheer scale of it, um, it, it almost feels like, and we'll 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 talk about Mongolia in a second because I know you've been flaring there, so obviously some good news coming from there in terms of the commerciality of it. But but the sheer scale of the opportunity here, um, I guess, is only tempered slightly by the fact that you're going to have to go deeper, you're gonna, ha- it's going to be more expensive, and the kind of the, the, the risk component. Um, is is there probably in people's minds? So, what for you de-risks that project?
0: So, this this project's substantial factor de-risking was in fact um, initiated by Mr. Putin. Um, this was always known to be gas that was there for, from this you know, ten-year-old plus type program, but it was known to be deep, as you say, uh, fairly tight, and therefore expensive to produce. Now, when gas prices in Australia were in the five or six Australian dollar sort of range, this would not have been in the market. And when international gas prices were lower than they are just now, it would not have been in the market. But in our view, the war has permanently changed uh, international gas market dynamics, both in terms of absolute pricing, which means that this can enter the market and be highly profitable, but also in terms of the premium that a safe location like Australia uh, 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 demonstrates to, for instance, East Asian or even European gas buyers.
1: It's interesting you say it has permanently done so because obviously, I think with most investors been around long enough, you kind of see these cycles um, in and out and price moving, etc. But you, you, you feel that there's going to be a legacy issue, even if things do get resolved in Russia, Ukraine, and, and well, uh, EU, UN, you name it. You, you think there'll be a kind of permanent effect on, on pricing?
0: Yeah, I mean, Russia is the, the world's largest exporter of, of gas. Um, but the key thing in, in gas markets is that. Customers build a lot of infrastructure and invest a lot of money on the assumption that gas will be delivered in accordance with contracts. Um, and when gas supplies are, are, are not honored and pipelines are blown up and uh, things like that, then it would take a very, very long time for trust to be reestablished and for that gas supplier to, to re-enter the market in the same way as it did before. Um, Whereas Australia, for instance, the Northwest Shelf operated by Woodside has been supplying for 40 years and never missed a cargo. And that sort of thing is extremely valuable. If, say, I'm in Japan and I've got to heat my neighborhood next week, um, I don't want to feel that that gas is not going to come.
1: So, what, what do you think it's going to do? You talk, you talk about the sort of what, the pricing that you've been used to in in Australia today. What do you think that could look like going forward? Are, are you putting, you know, you're going to have to start evaluating the economics of this thing eventually? But you must have a sense of where you think this thing could think
0: So, I think that Australian gas prices will be permanently above uh, ten dollars Australian, and for the, for the medium term, they will be probably considerably above that. And that that doesn't reflect um, top-headed capitalists viciously gouging uh, poor um, widows and orphans. It reflects the fact that cost of production has gone up and that the the easiest to extract um, gas has already gone. Um, And uh, that's just reality. Cost of capital has gone up as uh, what I might loosely call ESG concerns have made it harder to access capital for the development of, of oil and gas assets. So that's that's the, the reality that we're in. And I think internationally, um, gas prices will be in the you know, $15 or their amounts sort of you know, region for longer term gas supplies and for, for spot can be you know, multiples of that. And clearly, we're, we're seeing that in, in in the European and East Asian spot markets just now. And. Unfortunately, I think this, uh, this winter to date has been mild, um, although you mentioned it was getting a bit cooler in, uh, than in the south of England just now, and uh, hopefully that mildness will, will um, persist. But uh, I think it's not only a one, inter, one winter issue that the, the Russians could well extend this for, for multiple uh, seasons, unfortunately.
1: So, has come at a good time for you. Actually, I'm just thinking about you. Talk about cost of capital, but there's also rising costs as well. There's lots of factors sort of, you know, squeezing margins um, for for these things. So, you, in terms of timing for you, this is this could have worked out quite well in the sense that you've got on with it. You've been able to kind of book the resource and hopefully some reserves coming down the line too. Um, to actually try and understand the field, try and work it, you know, because, like I say, these are, these are deeper holes, they're slightly more expensive holes, and they, you know, the, 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 the risk of getting dusters is, is, is always there. Um, but you, you want to try and um, manage the field as well, and, and, and you've got to start somewhere. But starting in an environment like this is probably, as you say, Mr. Putin's done the oil and gas sector a, a favour here.
0: It has, and it allowed us to um, lever the one significant competitive advantage we've got over much bigger companies, and that is that we can move quickly. Um, now, we've, we've picked up an asset in the heart of territory uh, that, that Shell and Santos uh, dominate, and now, why do we manage to do that is a question people ask. And for those people who haven't worked in big companies, they, they assume some level of efficiency which... Uh, doesn't in reality pertain. Um, these companies take a long, long time to decide to do anything. When, then when they do, they apply money and expertise and do it well. Whereas we, uh, our, our technical team had looked at this asset before. Uh, when the opportunity came up, we could move very quickly and, and deal with a, a sensible buyer who didn't have capital, but who got a good outcome from it with significant upside kickers. So that was great. And when on our technical team, Again, one feature of our industry is that every ten years uh, anybody who costs a lot gets sacked from big companies um, so what we can uh, access are people with thirty or forty years experience who are who are consultants who don't who aren 't working for the big companies anymore but who have enormous experience and if you can combine the right team which we think we, we did then um, that allows us to with confidence acquire an asset and then as, as uh, as we noted, in terms of the contingent resource, actually work with uh, an international certifier to uh, confirm a, a large resource that is in fact present. And, and you
1: talk about so obviously um, reinterpreting and re-analyzing some of the, the historic data that you've got available to you, but you've also got a major working close by um, whose data you can look at um what well, public presumably you can look at i'm assuming you can look at um plus also some of the service companies that they work with um give you which you'll be working with too which gives you again a, a modicum of comfort around the risk component
0: exactly working where someone with a lot of capital already is indicates that in a success case when you want to access capital be it from the markets or be it from you know larger industry companies then it should be available um, the, the, the likes of Shell have been very explicit in that they won't be going to new areas. Well, it doesn't bother us, we're already in this area with, with them. Uh, then the second issue of service companies, um, our philosophy here is very simple. We will, uh, to the extent we can, pick up the same drilling companies and other service companies that uh, Shell will be using and uh, that has the advantage of lowering risk. It means that we will use what's called a hot rig, which is not quite the shape of my body anymore, but rather a rig that uh, it knows what it's doing in, in a particular region um, and can uh, uh, drill quicker and, and with less risk because the crew and, and, and the equipment is all honed in. So that's, that's really a big advantage here. We anticipate you know, subject to locking those contracts in, uh, being able to drill in around the fourth quarter of next year and this will be a significant well and, and in fact arguably the most significant well that uh, the companies have ever, ever drilled in, and it was initially listed you know, nearly 20 years ago.
1: Yeah, well, that, that is saying something and, and, and I just want you to kind of help me understand how you envisage creating that value, right? Because you know, I, I mentioned reserves, they're second again, obviously the, the ideal situation is that you, you, can, you can build those up. Um, how, how does a company of your size go about you know, um, I guess engendering some degree of confidence with the financiers. What are they looking for? You know, because, you know, having 3C numbers is great, but let, let's make, bring more certainty in, into this. Let's bring, um, you know, some comfort around the targeting of where the where these drills are going, et cetera. So what what are the, the variables that you look to uh, focus on?
0: So I, I think a critical one, which touches a number of those points is bringing in, Uh, a partner and uh, we are highly confident that we can do so. Now, clearly that defrays uh, costs and hopefully to a very significant extent. Uh, Secondly, if they are a bigger partner of substantial credibility, which in this, this instance, we believe can be the case, given the desire, for instance, of East Asian energy companies to own molecules in Australia. The fact of them coming in validates the the technical quality of the play and the team and and the future for the asset and then also provides an avenue to pursue future funding but only from from public capital markets but from such industry sources. Um, In terms of being a listed company, we, we obviously like to generate news flow and we anticipate a very nice build up over the next 10 or so months of securing the same rig as our neighbours, securing other service sector providers, um, locking in the particular spot, although we want to drill, although we're pretty confident we've got that already, bringing in finance through uh, farming. Uh, And indeed, in Australia, there's another form of finance here, and that is what's called an R&D credit from the Australian Tax uh, Office, which for this type of play can fund nearly half the costs um, of, of a well. And so that, that's pretty um, a significant credit as well. Um, and so, yeah, we, we are pursuing numerous angles and we think that will be a very nice run up of news, which the market will welcome and the industry will welcome into the drilling of what will be an appraisal rather than expiration well in Q4 next year. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, to, to
1: that point, I mean, you do put out a lot of news, but it, can, it seems <clears throat> from an investor's point of view, very sort of administrative focus. Like, you know, the exchange requires you to put out information as opposed to here's something which anyone excited about or here's something that means... We will are more likely to move, you know, this thing forward. Do, do you know what I mean? I mean? Some of the things you've described there are are are, are super and it'd be great to sort of see a bit more of that next year. I, um, I suspect, and and obviously, money for money, money you're good, right? you get right. You've got a, you've got a stack of money, but you can burn through it quite quickly. So again, if you're prioritising your allocation of capital, you know, what does the Queensland project looked like in relation to what's going on in Mongolia because you know you, you have again had some, you know, like I said, we, we talked about flaring, um, has happened as for, what, first time in country or first time for you in country?
0: Uh, well, yeah, both. I mean, we, we, wow. we have been okay. the pioneers well of CBM exploration. Uh, thanks. Uh, in, in Mongolia, we, we commenced uh, just very recently an extended pilot production test for, for the first time, and uh, that saw gas break through very, very quickly, which reflects the highly gas-saturated nature of the coals um, in, in the region. Uh, more gas means less water, which means lower cost and, 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 and quicker quicker flows. Now, we'll continue to flow that gas for a period, a um, period to be defined, <laughs> um, but could be a few months um, to... Uh, get a stabilized rate which uh, we believe will establish commerciality and then we can book reserves um, so until that's done though so we we our, our options in mongolia are, are you know got a few forks in the road and uh, but you know do we Develop that particular spot, uh, or do we explore and appraise elsewhere, or do we do all of the above? And, and, and we will we'll certainly be aiming for the latter, but keeping our powder a little bit drier until the form is clarified. Um, and then, as and when we close out the financing outcome, which we believe was likely to be a farm in, in Queensland, and that will liberate deployment, um, uh, you know, elsewhere in our portfolio, i.e., to Mongolia.
1: Right. And, and just just understand a little bit more technically in terms of um you you're kind of looking for a kind of steady state so you 've got to run this thing for a while and see what the decline looks like and and indeed you know I guess you 'll see what the decline looks like over you know the next few you know weeks and months as well because i 'm not quite sure because you know you are um innovator in country. You know there's, there's, you know, there's no one else to kind of look to in in terms of trying to work out what that could look like. What's your expectation though, of what that decline rate looks like?
0: So in, in, in coal seam gas, we expect to build up first and then a period of steady state and, and then a decline. Um, but as you say, because we're the first people to do this, we don't have analogs. I mean, if we were in Australia or the States or whatever, there'd be hundreds, if not thousands of wells. And you, you'd establish whether you were on the successful type curve fairly readily here we're establishing the first type curve and so we will carefully look at it you know 10 times a day as we go forward uh you know access the collective brains of our team and, and our reserves um, certifiers and then get to a point in could be uh, you know, a month or so, or it could be slightly longer, where we go. Okay, we have now established a commercial flow rate which is sustainable from from this, and we can we can turn off the flare, and that we we will know that we can now book reserves.
1: It's it's kind of interesting to me because, and I know you don't have any in country analogs, but are, are there geologically uh, uh, other analogs that you can look to and say because, if, you know, you, you're going to be saying right, okay. If the decline is quite steep and quite quick, we're going to need multiple holes. We're going to need multiple drilling rigs. We're going to need to see how we manage these um, field, manage this field, and, and why because it's, it's, it's also quite big. Um, but you must be sort of thinking it's, it's a little bit like X, Y and Z. I, I, and, and I don't know what that is, because you wouldn't be walking into this if you, if you didn't think you could make money, clearly. So, again, what, what, expectations?
0: So I, I think that the closest analogs technically are in China itself. And um, which, uh, you know, obviously it's proximate, so it has some geological similarities. Uh, it also has the similar issue that costs are low, if not, if not very low. And reserve bookings are really a function of the intersection between flow rates, prices and costs. I mean, they're not, you know, it's not constant around the world. If you're in a high cost environment, then your reserve booking, you know, hurdle is significantly higher. But this is a low cost environment. And then that Chinese connection is also relevant to our view that in the longer term, development capital will likely come from China itself, from from those companies, who are highly experienced in 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 dealing in, in similar locations inside their own immediately neighboring country
1: right and and by that you're talking about infrastructure because you've got because this is the whole thing we talked about putin earlier is it's it's very easy saying oh it's, the gas is going to flow, stop flowing west and start flowing east, but you need that kind of infrastructure, a pipeline, etc. And it just, just takes some sort of time. So again, what, in terms of what you're going to be able to signal to the market and signal to some of these um, capital expenditure funders, um, what do you think that needs to be? Because clearly scale is important to this thing, uh, but so is timing.
0: So I I think the fact that we've gone from concept to discovery to appraisal and then hopefully within months to establishing commerciality uh, in what in oil and gas terms is really a short period of only a few years is something that will grab the attention of even very large companies because these things don't don't occur very often. Um, The other factor to consider is security of supply and everyone's got a different perspective on this if i'm a japanese gas buyer i'll see australia as being secure if i'm a chinese gas buyer i'll see mongolia as being very secure because it presents no geopolitical threat to me at all now even if i might be best buddies with putin but i don't necessarily trust him and i also realize that the cost and timing to bring gas is currently pointed towards Europe but which is probably not going to go there in very big quantities anymore to take that in effect to East Asia probably requires $50 billion in 10 years Um, and then do I trust them and how much am I prepared to pay and, and all those sorts of things whereas again if I if I'm a Chinese uh, uh, company, I go well, well. Well, it's just next door. The infrastructure costs are ac- accordingly substantially lower, and uh, uh, I'm not going to have uh, you know, my, my supplier blowing up a pipeline.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I can I can see that. Um, I mean, it sounds like sounds like 2023 is kind of. Pardon my friends. Pardon the, the pun here, but it, you're, you're priming the pumps um, in the sense that. J- JV or balance sheet partner in, in Queensland would would hopefully um, happen at some point there um, with a project which is you know meaningfully big and that's good. Um, what's happening in Mongolia is starting to sort of signal to um, potential end buyers um, and um, infrastructure funding partners that it's 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 moving along quite nicely. So um, again. What's your expectation of um, the, the scale component to what you're going to need to, you know, signal to the market in from from Mongolia? I know you've got a big vast track of land, but you're going to need to put how many more wells and how much more money, um, and you know, will you need to be raising to, to do that, or do you think there's a sort of alternative to equity financing?
0: Um, I, I think in Mongolia, it's the, the fact that we've established a process um, that that moves from exploration to appraisal to Demonstrating commerciality is what's important and that will bring in capital in the form of a partner or an acquirer or, or an infrastructure provider, as you say, without you know, the material risks of dilution to ourselves. So when we don't need to pepper the, our block with, with wells, we, we, you know, we've, we, we think we've now established a process that works. Of course, in, in Mongolia, we, we can't ignore our longer dated and potentially enormously scalable green hydrogen projects um, Uh, with our our Japanese partners, SB Energy, and uh, that's also uh, a source of, you know, substantial change in 2023. Uh, We signed an MOU with with, uh, SB Energy in the middle of the year. Now, all things going to plan, we would like to convert that into a binding joint venture in some shape or form uh, in the first half of next year, and doing so is uh, uh, being built on the pre-feasibility work that we've been doing on multiple fronts and which, which looks very promising. It's
1: kind of interesting, see the Gobi project with SoftBank or SB Energy, I think it is, isn't it? Because um, um, what, what we're seeing in the mining sector is the fact that some of the, 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 the large companies, and I'm sorry, the Rio's and the BHP's and even some of the mid-tiers and Newmonts, et etc. They are starting to move back upstream on the exploration side and I think I think it's kind of interesting that you know, budgets have been have not been there for you know a couple of decades, quite frankly, um, and now we're starting to see that with the oil and gas sector. Um, again, it's, it's, we've we've all all, <laughs> all companies in oil and gas have had a torrid. We'll call it a decade because it's more. It's, it was you know even before Mr. Putin, Putin um, trot, trotted um, in, into Ukraine. Um, are the bigger companies looking to smaller companies to try and get involved earlier or is there still that well-trodden path of you find it, you prove it, and then we'll, you know, we'll come a call in? I,
0: I think it's largely the latter. Um, the, there, there are new sources of, or new-ish sources of capital. So we've seen Australia just now take over of a, country, a company called Origin, and, and it's a vertically integrated energy company, and, and private equity is basically taking the upstream part because it believes that that public markets aren't adequately funding oil and gas and that provides it with an arbitrage opportunity to come in, pick up assets that for what it believes to be false uh, ESG reasons aren't loved and uh, can make a healthy rate of return uh, on those. And I think the the success of of that strategy will engender vast pools of in effect, non-public uh, money to seek out similar opportunities. So, there might be you know, less chance of you know, bringing a, you know, an Exxon in to something, but there could be, you know, XXX private entity, private venture company that would come in instead. Because capital finds ways to to make returns, and if particular ways have have obstacles, then you know, that pool of money flows through different means to try and find those returns, and. Uh, now, we're, we're already seeing that, and I, and I think that will continue. I mean, the oil and gas isn't, isn't tobacco. It is an absolutely fundamental requirement of, of humankind. And uh, you know, sure, it, putting CO2 into the atmosphere you know, creates um, a, a greenhouse effect. I don't, I don't dispute that. But uh, the reality is that the two things need to uh, to operate hand in glove. It's not a, one thing is good and one thing is bad. There, there needs to be a synthesis between the, the two propositions. And... That's, I think, now, now coming, and that requires, uh, obviously, CCS and, and DAC and other mechanisms like that, which, which means that the gas in particular has got a, got a multi-decade role, and uh, capital will, will finance that uh, in, in ways that, that makes a return for itself.
1: So, okay, so you, you, okay, and, and I think that's an important point to make because I think there are people sitting on both sides of that, that argument. Um, clearly, cause I think people are making a lot of money off oil and gas project investments at, at the moment. I'm kind gonna, of, I'll even throw coal in there, even more so with coal. Um, but we, it's very sort of high, high profile narrative in the market about this anti fossil fuel um discussion going on and. In the you know, which is being had in the context of well, if we just switch it off, I think we're, we're, the world's on a whole bunch of other uh, issues. There's so a knock-on effect It's is huge. Do you think that the oil and gas industry is handling it the right way, or trying to educate, or just ignoring it? Because because like the, the media has kind of picked up on it. Some very high-profile images of people just sticking their hands and their faces to to walls and throwing paint over you know art galleries and you know car showrooms etc et, et, et um so there's a lot of noise H- how can you operate in, in in that environment and how do you think that's going to affect your ability to kind of raise capital or find the partners that you want going forward
0: i mean it certainly constrains an ability to access capital but I, therefore i think our our entire strategy recognizes that we we pick projects with the view, how, if we're successful, how do we get capital? And so our Queensland project is in an area that um, has been blessed by supermajors and which blessed by customers, and accordingly, we can see a clear path from successful appraisal to finding capital to, to develop. Our Mongolian project also has a view that development capital will come from China for political and economic reasons. Um, and, and so that's well thought out. Um, on the hydrogen side, the, the amount of capital wants to find a home is just enormous. And, and uh, we think a, a good project can, and in our instance, already has attracted a very high quality partner to, to fund things. So strategy has to almost be set backwards. We're saying don't set, uh, don't explore and then expect the world to come to you. Work out if you do explore how the world is going to come to you and then pick the place you're going to explore and how you're going to do it that's going to fit that objective.